The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, owner of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is New York Times technology and business columnist Nick Bilton. Nick is also lead blogger for the New York Times Bits blog. And he's just recently released a second book called Hatching Twitter, A True Story of Money, Power, Friendship, and Betrayal. The book chronicles the story of Twitter, from its inception to today, along with the business, societal, and human implications of the company. Welcome to the show today, Nick. Thanks for having me. So tell us about the book. You obviously, New York Times reporter, you've been covering Twitter, you had some access, but given the depth to which you were able to capture the personalities behind the founders and so forth, certainly you must have had more access. So tell us about how the book came about. Um, I, you know, I've been covering technology companies for the past several years for the Times, and um, and I found that the story of of Twitter uh, was just fascinating. It was a story of a company that has changed the way we do everything. It was responsible for changing revolutions and business and politics and religion and so on. And uh, and so I wanted to set out to write that story. And then in the process, I came across the reality that this was a a much deeper story. It was a story about four guys who came together to build a technology, and um, and they were all friends, and they, they hoped this technology would, would bring their friendships closer together. But in the process, they ended up tearing their friendships apart. Absolutely. So some people say that the book reads like a soap opera. Others have likened it to a mystery novel. Why? Why is that? Well, I, when I set out to write it, the approach I took was was kind of uh, a murder mystery. I mean. The, the story of the founding of the company is not the story that everyone has been told. And, and then so as I set out to report this, I, um, I came across those challenges. Um, one of the things that I did was uh, I, I started speaking to early employees and um, I started sifting through early tweets, hundreds of thousands of tweets and, and other things, and, and in the process started to realize that there was a much deeper story. And eventually I gained access to the founders and the board members and so on through my reporting and and so what the story that's out there is is that this this was this company that was started by essentially one guy Jack Dorsey who mm-hmm. um, who came from St Louis and and what I found with the reporting was that it was actually a, a number of people that were involved in the creation and the story of Jack's was essentially it became the creation myth which is something that we see in the valley all the time right um, and so as I was writing it I I decided that I should give the reader the, the same viewpoint that I had um, entering it, and so therefore it reads a similar way to a, almost a murder mystery. Okay, so what is the story behind the creation myth of Twitter? Where did the idea really come from? Well, the creation myth is that Jack Dorsey kind of realized it when he was eight years old or so. Right. The reality is, um, is that there were two different guys. There was four guys, essentially. There was Jack Dorsey, 
uh, from St. Louis, Biz Stone, who grew up on welfare in um, Boston, Evan Williams, who grew up in a small town, Clarks, Nebraska, a population of 300 or so, and then Noah Glass, who's the forgotten founder, who is, um, uh, he was from, um, actually grew up in a hippie commune in, in Southern California. And these four guys, um, essentially they came together to start a, a thing called Odeo, and Odeo was a podcasting company, and they wanted to reinvent radio. And what happened was one day Apple put out podcasting and essentially made Odeo completely, you know, irrelevant overnight. Right. And so they, they had these half days and, and, and so on uh, that they held to, um, to kind of explore uh, other ideas. And one evening, Jack Dorsey and Noah Glass, who became best friends, um, they were sitting in a car and they'd been out drinking and partying and it was about 2 a.m. and it was raining and they were on Valencia Street in San Francisco. And they they actually started talking about this idea of being able to update your status. And this is what Jack brought to the table was he had this concept that much like the messaging services, you'd be able to say what you were doing at the moment in time. And there were other services out there like that. And Noah didn't think it was it was that exciting either did anyone else until Noah had this realization that you could use it to connect to other people and quote unquote feel less alone. So that was the uh, that was the the big the big reveal that kind of brought this whole thing together. So there were really four guys. It, from what you've said in your book and, and other sources, it sounds like Dorsey is the one who really knew how to work the media, though, so that the the creation myth, as you said, grew up around Jack Dorsey. Yeah, that's correct. In the Valley, there's uh, Silicon Valley. You have it's essentially a game played on access, and the access is you know you learn to get access from the media, and, then, and what happened over time was that all of the founders were essentially pushed out of the company one by one, and they uh, uh, they went through this process of, of, you know, of vying for control and power, and, and Jack was the one that kind of managed to convince people that he was the sole creator of Twitter, and Noah, who had an equally important role in the creation of it, um, was pushed aside and kind of written out of history until the book came along. Yeah, so now you do note that two of the founders, Jack Dorsey and Evan Williams, actually had conflicting visions of how Twitter would be used or should be used, and, and how, did, how did they differ? That's a, that's a great question. So Jack saw Twitter as a way to talk about what he was doing, a, a way to talk about his own status and to say, I'm eating a hamburger or I'm at the park or whatever it was. And um, um, and, and the, uh, the the view that Evan Williams had was that you would be able to um, talk about what was going on around you. Um, so it was more of, of, it was a kind of a difference between the self and the other. And mm-hmm. so you, you had these different, these two different viewpoints. And, and the, uh, the idea was um, essentially very different, although it may sound similar. But what happened was um, uh, it's these two concepts together that essentially made Twitter what it is. You know, Noah Glass and Bill Stone's concepts of the fact that uh, that the the ability to be able to connect with friends was really important, and, and those things together were really what made Twitter what it is. Yeah, and it's interesting, as, as uh, much as the founders disagreed on the use, I think that users have sort of the same kind of conflict. You hear people saying, I'm not going to go get on Twitter because all people are saying is I'm, I'm having a ham sandwich for lunch. Why do I want to know that? And then there's others who embrace it because of that. So I think even the the people yeah. out there who are who are users have the same conflict. So you interviewed the founders for the book, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so how do they feel about it now that it's out? You you've revealed some stuff that maybe <laughs> they they don't like having out in public. 
Well, some of them some of them are, are happy it's out because the true story has been told, and they were kind of frustrated that there were there were um, untrue stories being told, and um, and others of them are are probably upset that there are things out there that you know that they're not happy with. But at the same time, I think that you know most of the people that are in the book, um, even some that have been that uh, you know it showed that they are not necessarily the the people they say they are in public i think that there are also there's some people that are happy because the story that's out there is a is is now part of history and also it it helps other entrepreneurs and other business people learn from the mistakes that these guys made and um and so uh you know i ran into one of the founders i can't get into names just because i mm-hmm. um these are sources and so on but i ran into one of the founders and and he said, you know, um, uh, you know, although there are parts out there that I don't, I don't want people to necessarily know about me. I think that more importantly, I'm excited that other entrepreneurs will be able to read this book and understand what we went through and the lessons that we had to learn, um, and see if they can apply those to their own startups and avoid some of the tumultuous situations that Twitter went through. Yeah, and interestingly, you were able to use Twitter itself to document a lot of the early history. You had access to the founders' posts and even photos that they had posted. Uh, Did you get some of your best information through the medium itself? You know, I I got some of the inspiration for that book from uh, from my own uses of Twitter and so on, and and I really... um, uh, I really found that you know one of the things that was fascinating was that when I was doing the reporting was that these people were able to to help contribute to the story almost in a way mm-hmm. um, by um, by doing um, by by tweeting and putting photos on Flickr and, and things like that and and so was it while I was doing the reporting I was able to go back and find all those things um, and use them in the reporting and and I think you know one of the things that people have said about the book is it somewhat reads like a novel and part of the reason for that is because of the descriptions and the things that I was able to glean um, from uh, from from the story. Given all of the information that you got had access to and also the fact that you had been reporting on Twitter as a New York Times reporter, some people might think that you really already had an inside view of it because you'd been working with them since the beginning. So as a result of the book project and the book research, any surprises, anything that you didn't know? Are there any surprises or things I didn't know while writing the book? Well, just surprises about the company. You'd think that with all the background that you already had because you'd been covering them as a reporter yeah, already. But, uh, d- yeah, d- but the, the, thing, the thing that I find, I've, I've realized covering the Valley is that the story you're told by these companies is is very very rarely the truth. Um, you know, they spin things in ways that you can't even imagine could could be spun. And and um, and so the, everything I came across was a surprise. You know, the getting access to the revenue numbers, um, finding out the number of employees. I mean, when Twitter was was at its peak, you know, as far as media attention in, in 2009, going on um, uh, Oprah and being featured on Time Magazine and so on. From the outside in, it looked like a giant, massive corporation. But inside, there was only 35 employees that were like pulling all nighters trying to keep <laughs> this thing afloat. Um, and so, and they had zero dollars in revenue, and so on. And so, these are some of the things that you learn as you're um, as you're going through the kind of reporting process that I went through. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that these four started out as friends, and they thought that this this company that they were creating, this service that they were creating was going to actually connect them even more and solidify not only their friendship but others' friendships by allowing them to stay in touch, uh, but it tore them apart. 
how did the company succeed when you've got all these internal conflicts going on and the friendships are being ripped apart? How do you make business decisions? How do you how do you make operational decisions when you've got that kind of conflict going on? You've got a small amount of people that are pulling all nighters. Did it has the company succeeded in spite of itself? Yeah, I think that that's. I think some of the, the all of there's a lot of drama in this company that led to you know what it is um, today. There was that drama also contributed to making it a a very viable um, uh, company. And you know the the infighting um, led to some of the product things that we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. You know where it was half about what you were doing and half about what was going on around you. The um, CEOs that were in charge at the points in time they weren't in charge at that at that era they were the right person for the job at that moment in time um, and um, and I think the other thing is that you know Biz Stone once said to me that all the attention they were getting because the site kept on going down helped bring more attention to the site and people mm-hmm. kept saying well why I want to know what this thing is and and so this all it all led into um, the uh, the product that they they ended up creating and that, that exists today and so um, so the, the turmoil and the chaos is not necessarily just bad. I think it, um, it it can also be it can also be very good. Let's talk about the name Twitter. Uh, a lot of these companies that are coming out of Silicon Valley and and other startup names from around the country are kind of odd to some people. Where where did the name Twitter come from? Um, the name Twitter came from actually Noah Glass, the, the the founder that was pushed out very early on, and Noah came to this realization that. Um, yeah, he needed a name for the company that was really going to express what it meant, and and one of the ideas that that he uh, he was playing around with was was the idea of being able to stimulate someone and stimulate your brain and so on. He went home one afternoon, he was flipping through the dictionaries, looking for different words and so on, and his phone kept annoying him. <laughs> and and what happened was um, he turned it to vibrate, and he looked at the word vibrate on, on in the dictionary, which led him to the word. Twitch, and then a few words later, he found the word Twitter, and he immediately knew that that was the, the the right word that he wanted to use to describe this. So throughout its its history, Twitter has been eyed for acquisition by a number of big names. I mean, Facebook at one point was considering buying the company. I think Al Gore even at one point had uh, some thoughts about that and now of course we've had the IPO what what are your thoughts on the growth of the future of the company um you know i think that everyone wanted to buy this company because it was so powerful and and growing so 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 quickly and and they you know you had Al Gore that that, that that tried to purchase it at one point wanting to meld it together with current tv you had um, uh, you had P. Diddy, the rapper who wanted to be involved with it, Ashton Kutcher and Dan Moore. Um, you know, you had um, Steve Ballmer from Microsoft who who asked if they would be interested. And it was one after the other after the other that um, uh, that, that tried to purchase the company. And um, and you uh, and each time that the company turned it down. So um, you know, which was a good thing. Yeah. So where do you think it's going? It's had the IPO. Where do you think it's going from here? Um, I think it's uh, I think it's going to continue to grow, and I think you know one of the challenges the company is going to have is um, is that the the company will have to push people to use the service more. They're going to have a really hard time getting users to sign up, and, and so on. That you know they only have 235 million users compared to Facebook's 1.2 billion, um, and uh, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges. But I think that you know Twitter is going to be here for a long, long time, and it's a 
communication platform that everyone from the president to the pope to, you know, a farmer in Clarks, Nebraska uses. Right. And when you say that getting users to sign up is going to be the real challenge, why do you think that that is? I mean, you've got celebrities on there. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, several of them who were even interested in buying the platform. So when you've got those kinds of people who are out there daily posting and that have hundreds of millions of followers in some cases, why why is getting people to sign up such an issue? Um, I uh, um, I think that it's still very complicated to use. I mean, the ad symbols and the hashtags and things like that are all, all very complicated uh, things to understand, and I think that that's why it's so difficult. Um, and um, and for mainstream America, that's that's still a challenge. Um, so, you know, we we will see um, how how that kind of changes, and I think Twitter is is working on that. But it's, it is a challenge for people to understand it, and that concept of what you're supposed to do in 140 characters is, is difficult for most people to, to comprehend. <laughs> 140 characters is a challenge, I'll say that. As somebody who's on Twitter daily, it is a very difficult form to write in, but you can still get your message across. So Nick Bilton, the author of Hatching Twitter, where can we find your book, Nick? You can go to HatchingTwitter.com or you can go to any bookstore or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever it's available for all devices and um, and uh, all bookstores. Thanks so much for being our guest today. A lot of great insights. I uh, appreciate the time that you took with us. For those of you who'd like to learn how to grow your business, make sure you go to IThinkBigger.com. Check out what we have there in terms of resources. Also follow us on Twitter at IThinkBigger and like us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.